Good morning. You know, last week, Tim was rightly referenced as our normal preacher. <laughs> I think you know what that leaves me. I'm your abnormal preacher. Uh, and I don't even dispute that. Uh, I took no offense to it. Look, this morning, I want to talk to you about something that I hope hits home, because I believe this affects all of us, either throughout our lives, meaning episodically, or perhaps it's something that really has plagued you for some time. But it requires a little introspection. You're going to have to look at yourself and think about this. And this is about the challenge of change. And we're going to take a look at one Bible verse. We're going to look at several, but one Bible verse in particular in Mark 10, uh, 46 through 52. And you might want to turn to that or mark it so you'll have it ready. Because in one short, compact story, it reveals a lot about the struggle, the challenge that we face in this area, but more often than not, uh, or as in more often than not, we may be stuck in that, it provides a way out. And that's what makes this different. It doesn't leave the reader with this hopeless condition, but rather walks you through how one individual in the Bible took what might be viewed as an inescapable condition and changed it due to the power of Jesus Christ. Now, many of you may have tried to make change in your life and you struggled with it and you found yourself right back where you started. The best of intentions, but no real outcome. We call that being stuck. And it can be incredibly demoralizing. One silver lining to this, it's not really a silver lining, but if you find yourself in that condition, you're probably in the majority. You're not alone. And I want to put this in real terms to kind of break the ice a little bit about how this might apply to you. New Year's resolutions. Remember that? Remember those? I want you to think about those New Year resolutions that you at least contemplated. You know, I can see you up here. Don't look to the left and right. I'm talking to you, right? I'm talking about the ones you've made. And maybe you didn't make them very publicly, but you've made them nonetheless. And you're serious about going, going about that, but maybe there were some challenges. You want to know what the number one New Year's resolution is? It involves exercise. Now, there's a few that kind of tie that, but we always have this idea that we're going to work out or we're going to exercise more this coming up year. And how do we do? Well, you see, you know what month it is? You know what month we're about to get into, right? Uh, if you don't believe that there's great intentions that kind of fall by the wayside, just take a quick look at Craigslist or Facebook Marketplace for used exercise equipment. It's at its zenith right now. It's never going to get higher than it is. And it's the only time you can trust uh, descriptions of like new or used only once. <laughs> True statement. Don't buy new stuff. It's already new out there, and people are going to be in the market for it again next year. Here are a few others, and I've uttered some of these before. Eat healthier and diet. Get out of debt. Save money. Spend more time with the family. Maybe travel to new places change jobs, and one of my favorite, this made the top five in almost every list that I looked at, um, be less stressed. That's a, that's a neat thing to put on the list, but that almost in itself is stressful. So I don't really know where we're going with that, but uh, 
there's a, and it's a dad joke, right? Yeah, the, the idea that New Year's resolutions, they go in one year and out the other, that's exactly how we treat them. Good intentions up front, maybe not good execution. And one of the reasons for this is procrastination. This idea that we'll eventually get to it. It's in the forefront of our mind, but you know, maybe we'll do it at another time. I've got a few quotes on procrastination that I personally like. One says, procrastination is the art of keeping up with yesterday. One says, the sooner I fall behind, the more time I'll have to catch up. I've even used that, by the way. One of my favorites, anyone can do any amount of work, provided that work is not supposed to be done at this moment. We can do anything as long as it's not right now, right? And then tomorrow is often the busiest day of the week. It's always about putting something off until tomorrow. And some habits, I guess, are good. You can get into some really good habits and they're worthy of, of maintaining. But often than not, when we're talking about being stuck, we're talking about habits that we're trying to change, ones that aren't beneficial to us. Here are a few that I've used myself. Maybe, maybe you can find yourself in these. I'm going to change my priorities. I will pray or read the word more. I need to be more involved with my church family. I'm going to watch what I say. I don't want to use hurtful words or bad language. I will make good choices in the company I keep, the music I listen to, the TV and movies that I watch. I will guard my spirit from bad influences. I'm going to take better care of my family. I'm going to work on strained relationships. It's time to forgive. I know the pain of carrying anger around inside of me. I will put away a particular sin I have been allowing to perpetuate. I will stop rationalizing my behavior and get right with God. But after all these priorities, all these good ideas, all these clarified positions, for many of us, we find ourselves right back where we were when we uttered these to begin with, stuck in the same old habits. So how do we get out? How do you break out? Well, the Bible gives us a fantastic example in Mark chapter 10, starting in verse 46. And we're going to take a look at a Bible individual named Bartimaeus. And I think it would be hard to imagine anyone in a position more challenging than he. Yet he found a way out. And it wasn't his way. He found a way out through the power of Jesus Christ. And it's laid out very, in very clear, simple terms. In fact, we treat this sometimes as a kid's story. We read it in children's Bible hours, though it doesn't have implication on us. It's incredibly insightful, and it's incredibly simplistic. And in one paragraph, it unpacks the very steps in the order that we should follow. And so let's take a look at it today. In Mark chapter 10, starting in verse 46, then they came to Jericho. As Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city, a blind man. Bartimaeus, that is the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, call him. So they called the blind man, cheer up, on your feet, he's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. 
Go, said Jesus, your faith has healed you. Immediately, he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. What a powerful story and an example. First, we need to understand who this Bartimaeus was and to, to appreciate his condition. The first, he was blind. Being blind is a challenge. I don't think anyone would argue that it's not. Being blind in his day in Jericho, even a greater challenge. Some things we do know, a blind person in that day couldn't work. There were no job programs for the blind. Braille hadn't been invented. They couldn't read. It was difficult to communicate. We know that in that era that they didn't have seeing eye dogs. The Jews didn't even believe the dogs were clean. So he was blind. He was reduced to begging. Unless you had an independently wealthy family, that was your lifestyle. Was relying on alms to the poor from passerbys who would take pity on you, which is the third piece. He was an object of pity, and the more pitiful he presented himself, likely the more successful he would be at raising the meager subsistence he needed to live. So think about a case of delivery. If you wanted to show an example of someone who broke out of a rut, who became unstuck in their condition, would you pick someone who was blind, reduced to begging, and an object of pity? We probably wouldn't. We would want better chances of success. Think about your condition. Think about your struggles. Think about Bartimaeus's condition and how improbable this whole story is, except for one aspect. It involved Jesus Christ. When you want a dynamic changer, something that upsets everything that you can think of, when you want to imbalance the equation that you're taught, add Jesus to that mix. And that's the X factor that changes it all, and it changed it here uh, in this particular case. So his life was reduced to the four words at the end of verse 46, sitting by the road. This appeared enduring, unending, and potentially permanent. But we know how he did it, and we're going to see exactly how he did it and why that happened. So there's a few principles to think of. This is probably the most uncomfortable. You've got to, be, have, the, you've got to have the courage to step out of your own comfort zone. Some of you may not even recognize what that comfort zone is for you. In fact, the condition you might be in might not even be enjoyable, but it's what you know. And you've adapted maybe to survive in that condition. And even in something undesirable, you can find something safe because at least you know how that operates, but it doesn't make it good, right? A quote that I like is, a comfort zone is a beautiful place where nothing ever grows. Stuck in your comfort zone, you'll be stuck there forever. This is maybe one of the difficult reasons why people can't get out. You know, Tom Landry had a saying, Dallas Cowboys football coach of many years ago. He said from leadership, one of the toughest things to get, to get people to do, right? This is what he was trying to talk about motivating people. One of the toughest things is to get people to do what they don't want to do so they can achieve what they want to achieve. And in plain speak, what he would say is everybody wants to win the Super Bowl, but few people want to go through what it takes to get there. And how many times have we seen the prize to say, oh yeah, that's exactly what I want, but you're not willing to make a change in order to achieve it. Part of that is getting out of your comfort zone in order to do that. Now maybe for Bartimaeus, he didn't like sitting by the road. My guess is he didn't like his life, but it is what he knew. And it was successful enough for him 
to exist. But he was faced with one of the biggest decisions in his life that day. He dreamed of something more he wanted to see. And for every Bartimaeus that stepped out of that comfort zone, there's probably a thousand people who just shrink right back into it. And you have to think about how people see you in that. We're going to talk about that in a minute. Yeah, you have the freedom to not make change, but that's a dubious freedom. That freedom will hold you back. And it's also okay to have a sense of fear. When someone says you shouldn't be scared about change or it shouldn't make you uncomfortable, I don't think they're being fair to you. Fear is out there. It's okay to have a sense of it, but it's not okay to listen to it. Fear is a liar. Fear whispers to you that you're going to fail. Fear hangs around in your mind to just, just eat away at the resolve or the excitement you have at a prospect of doing something different. Fear is always going to be around in your life. But you've got to conquer that. And it's okay if you, if you say, I can't do that alone, because you'll never conquer it alone. You'll conquer it through Christ. We understand in Mark 10, 47, and when he heard that it was Jesus the Nazarene, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Where did he get that from? Clearly some level of recognition. Listen to this idea about courage and fear. Be strong in Psalm 31, 24. Be strong and take heart, all you who hope in the Lord. How do you not understand that? Be strong and take heart. Does it end there? If it ended there, this would just be another motivational speech. One that wouldn't even survive the time you left the building. But it's not a motivational speech. It's this idea, be strong and take heart. Who? All you who hope in the Lord. In Psalm 138.3, when I called, you answered me, you greatly emboldened me. This idea of communicating with God, God imparts a sense of confidence, not of self-confidence, but of Christ's confidence in you. He emboldens you. You don't embolden yourself. He's imparting this to you, but look how it starts. When who called? When you called. Reaching out to God, he empowers us. Hebrews 3.6, but Christ is faithful as a son over God's house, and we are his house if we hold on to our courage and the hope of which, of which we boast. This is the idea of courage that's coming from God. And here's one of my favorites. I spend more time in any counseling that I've ever done on this verse, of anything I've ever said to anyone else, in Joshua 1.9. I don't know why we have this notion that when we go through life, remember we're talking about stepping out of our comfort zones and going into something, largely it's about career choice or maybe some other decision. But it's a decision we want to make and we don't like where we are and we're about to take this and we're worried about it, we're concerned, and I'm asked all the time, what should I do? As though we're playing a game show. I have five options that I know of, five doors that I can pick. What do you think the right one should be? Should I take this job? Should I move? Should I do this? Should I continue this relationship? As though somehow we're playing a game where the blessing is behind one of those doors and you better not get it wrong. And so people run around and ask all the time, and especially young people about career choices. Just, you know, all this high-torque hand-wringing. I just don't know what to do. Which door should it be? When they don't realize there is nothing behind those doors. 
It's a false game because the blessing is with you already and that blessing goes with you through that door. And that's what this says. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord you God, your God will be with you wherever you go. When you are faithful and you're following God and God goes with you, who cares what that door has behind it? Pray about it. Talk to people. Get advice. All that's great. But remember at the end, if God goes with you, what does it matter? You'll find blessings in that. And if that's not the right place for you to be, guess what? God will put you in the right place you need to be. Maybe that's training ground for you. Maybe that's something you need to do for the time. Or maybe that door isn't the door that's open for you right now. And God is looking out for you in that particular time. But stepping out of your comfort zone means understanding that God is with you in the process. The second thing you need to take a look at is you've got to have the confidence to believe that you can change. This is about faith. And faith is not gullibility. Faith is based on something. And we're going to take a look at what that something is. But in Mark 10, 52, it said, go your way, your faith has made you well. That's Jesus' command to Bartimaeus. What made him well? Clearly the power of Christ. But his faith working in that power was complete. He believed. There is some idea when he began to cry out for the Jesus of Nazareth, where that came from. We know of at least six blind people that were healed, probably many more. But Bartimaeus likely had some recognition that Jesus was a powerful individual capable of hearing or healing. And he believed that he could be healed by this great healer, this great teacher. So how does that apply to us? Well, we know in Romans 10, 17, consequently, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word of Christ. How do you hear the message? What's interesting is you're here today. So how do the people who aren't here today, who could be here today, hear the message? If you're not hearing the message, it's really hard to have faith produced inside of you. We know that the Bible is alive and active. It's not just a book in print. The Holy Spirit works through us. It's enabling, it's empowering, it's motivating, it's life-altering. But if you don't expose yourself to it, you can't take advantage of this. This faith grows by hearing the Word and by being encouraged with stories just like this. You don't get that outside of these walls very often. You know how people are? People don't bet on change. People are betting that you won't change. It's the safe bet for most people to make. But with Christ, there are no limits. He's not limited in any way, shape, or form. But that means in order for that faith, getting that outside of these walls and understanding, you've got to leave off excuse making. This isn't about blaming people. This is about you having that courage and you having that belief that God can really empower you to make that change. And maybe you've tried it yourself and you failed. Maybe that's been the problem. Maybe you're not powerful enough to make that change. But I know that God is. So we need to rely on him. The third piece is you've got to clarify what it is you really need. In Mark 10, 51, in this story that we read, Jesus asked him, what do you want me to do for you? Do we not believe that Jesus already knew? And wouldn't it have been pretty obvious that a blind guy sitting by the road that could be in the top 10 list that maybe he wanted to see? Was Jesus ridiculing him for this? Absolutely not. 
This is the idea to find out whether this individual, Bartimaeus, could articulate what it was he wanted. How much more so for us? What I do know is this. Every unasked prayer is an unanswered prayer. We've got to clarify to God what it is we need. He already knows. You don't have to be articulate. You may not even have the words. But he understands your heart. He understands your groanings. He understands your pain, your communication, because he made you and he commu communicates you on a, with you on a spiritual level. But you still have to ask. We've got to go to God, and we've got to ask specifically what it is we need. A life with no goals is a life with no direction. You've got to be able to say to God where you want to head. In Matthew 7, 8 through 11, the Bible says, For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be open. Which of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Does this sound like a God who's trying to deprive you of blessings? This is a God who says, I am ready to pour these out on you. But you've got to go to him and ask. If you're too prideful to do it, then you're too prideful to receive it. Go to God with a humble heart. Clarify what it is you need. And let God work miracles in your life. Because he is ready to bless you in ways you can't even imagine. But we have to ask. Rabbi, I want to regain my sight. How much clearer could you ask? And here's one that affects people of all ages. This is not for a young, just for young people. We always worry about you know, young people and peer pressure. You know, peer pressure's alive and well at every age. We need to stop worrying about what people say. Look at how they treated him. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Think about what was happening here that day. Here's the teacher, he's getting crowded, people are all up on him. Here's some blind guy walking up, starting to yell at him, trying to get his attention. And people are like, be quiet, get in the back, this is the teacher. He didn't care what anyone said. He wasn't listening. You know, most people, here's a shocker. Most people outside of this body right here do not have your best interests in mind. Crazy, right? I know you probably never contemplated that before. But you need to understand that most people don't have your well-being in mind. They're interested in themselves. It's unfortunately the depravity of our, our world in which we live. But you know, he didn't stop. People are inconsistent. People are pessimists. People are unstable. And here's a word that I like to use. And if you're probably under 25, you don't even believe it's a real word. Ever heard the term wishy-washy? <laughs> don't, don't laugh. I've never used it in a sentence in 10 years, I think. If Wordle had a 10-letter puzzle and wishy-washy was in there, they could give you 100 guesses you would never give it, right? Wishy-washy. This idea that people are inconsistent. They're one way, one way, and one way, the other way. They're just blown about by the wind completely without conviction. It's whatever suits their purpose. That's why when sports teams, I know it's Tampa Bay Lightning and maybe too soon, right? Uh, you know, Rebecca and Mark were over at my house last night watching the game. I've never seen a more abrupt exit in overtime when they left my house. <laughs> I thought it was something I said. We're joking, we're talking. They said, good night, we're out of here, and they were disgusted. I asked Sharon, was that, was that us? And they know it's hockey. Just leave them alone for a while, it's too soon, 
right? But that's why when sports teams win a championship, even people who don't even like the team go out and buy the jerseys because people want to be on a winning team. They want to be associated with something winning. You've got to stop worrying about what they say. There's negative people all the time, all over the place, right? And you also have to realize what happened right after this, and we're going to talk about that here in just a second. But it didn't last very long, right? In Mark 10, 49, Jesus stopped and said, call him. So they called to the blind man, cheer up on your feet, he's calling you. Look at that 180. Sit down, shut up, no one has time for you. Hey, get up, what are you doing sitting there? Can't you see he's asking for you? Is there not a better example of the inconsistency of people? I've told this story, and some of you have heard it before, but many years ago when I was a young guy out in cold weather training, I think we're out in Iceland or Norway, and it was freezing, and we finished. And we came in, and we we're going to have our first hot meal in like three weeks. And we were wearing cold weather uh, gear that the individual who was running the mess hall where we ate had never seen before and thought that it was improper to wear in a Marine facility. Marines are just crazy. You just have to live with that, right? So they didn't like the fact that we, he didn't think we were dressed properly. The top that we were wearing was an Army-issued top for cold weather, and the Marine Corps saved money and bought theirs. So this guy looked at me when I came in with my 35 Marines to eat, and he said, you're not eating in this place until you put a Marine uniform on. And so I had a slight, are you a senior to me? The argument went one way, downhill to me. I couldn't say anything. So I listened to this, and so I was you know, ejected from the chow hall, and I'm standing outside, figuring out what to regroup, and up walks a two-star wearing the same top that I'm wearing. And I thought this was a great opportunity. And so he said, what are you doing standing out here? We need to get in there and eat. And I said, yes, sir, why don't you go first? Get on in there, go first. And he said, you know, Marines, senior Marines, eat last. And I said, I know, sir, but go greet the, the major who's running the chow hall, and we'll be right in behind you. And he said, that's great. So he walks in. And all of a sudden, I see this major look at this two-star, and then he looked at me and he goes, Lieutenant, what are you waiting for? Get up here and get your Marines through the line. <laughs> Is that not any different, right? And when I was going through the line, I asked for things like, can we get double rolls? How about extra butter? And there was an understanding, right? If we didn't get extra food, I might have to share a story, a little dinnertime story with my new two-star friend that I just made, right? People are fickle. People are wishy-washy. We've got to stop worrying about what other people say because they do not have our best interest in mind. And when you finally succeed, you'll find some of these people tell you they knew that would happen all along. Stop waiting for ideal circumstances. When is the right time, right? In Mark 10, 46, then they came to Jericho as Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city. A blind man came. That's when it started. They were leaving. The crowd was big. People imagine this, pressed up against the teacher. Wouldn't it be better to do this in a more private setting? Wouldn't it be better to do it the next day if you could find him? When is the ideal circumstances for you to be unstuck? How about right now? You know one of the biggest lies I think the devil teaches us? Is that get yourself right with God first, then come to God. Get yourself right. Fix yourself first and then go find God. You know it's completely backwards? God says to come to him broken. You can't fix yourself. This is the problem with that first theory. Is it's God who's doing the fixing. So you come to God broken. And you ask him very clear, clearly what it is you want him to do for you. And you can't wait for an ideal circumstance. Because I'm going to tell you, it's never going to come. How about when things settle down? My favorite phrase. When things settle down, I'm going to fill in the blank. I got news for you. 
things never settle down. You notice that in your life? Have you been waiting for things to settle down? They never settle down. There's just one thing on top of the next thing. I'm going to wait the things settle down before I become a better family man or I work on this or I do that. It's never going to happen. Life is busier and all these things that are allegedly helping you, right, like email and texting, they save up a lot of time for you, right? They free up all kinds of time. Automation gives you so much time, you probably have no idea what to do with it. Said no one ever. Because all this does is give you more burden to try and be more productive in the day. The ideal time is now. And lastly, I want you to think about doing something bold and dramatic. This gets people a little nervous. Casting aside his cloak, he jumped up and came to Jesus. This was the moment of action. Everything else was talk, right? Everything else was an interchange. This was action. He changed by getting up, tossing aside his cloak, and coming to Jesus. He made the move. Where is your move? You've got it. You can say, well, you know, I don't think I really need to do anything bold and dramatic. And I would ask you, how's that working out? How's that going for you? Maybe bold and dramatic is nothing more than keeping or setting and keeping new priorities. Maybe that's the bold and dramatic thing. But the commitment to make a change, having that level of courage to do that, maybe is in order. So what was this? What's the method? How do we break out? How do we unstick ourselves? How do we teach other people to unstick themselves? Well, first, you've got to be able to step out of your comfort zone. Next, you've got to believe that Jesus Christ has the power to change your life. You've got to confess to Jesus that you need healing. Be very clear about what it is you're asking for. Go to him in prayer. Stop thinking about what other people think and focus on him. People are wishy-washy. You're going to use that sentence or that word before the day is over. I'm asking you to work it in somewhere, right? And then lastly, you've got to stop waiting for ideal circumstances. The time is right now. So you want to unstick your life? Go to Christ. He stands ready. You failed before, we all have. He'll give you empowerment you've never had and you're not going to do it alone. Worried about what that change is going to look like? Stop worrying. Fear is not your friend. Fear is holding you back. Let Christ work in your life. Go to him, ask for him, specifically to heal you, to work with you in your life, not just today, but every day, and make that change. That bold and dramatic step forward is you being willing to commit to something different and watch the power of God work in ways that you couldn't even imagine. If you have any needs, please let us know what those are so we can pray for you as we sing.